Pelotero Pickle episode 115. We have a guest with us today, Doug Vernier. Very excited to get chatting with him. He's got some pretty cool uh, playing history, coaching history. He's got a really cool website. Uh, before we get started, uh, reminder, send us your questions to pickle at pelotero.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle. You can find us on Instagram, Pelotero app. I think TikTok is Pelotero Corp. If you know us, you can find us. We love hearing from you. Uh, joining me as always, Chris Colabello. I'm going to throw it to Chris to introduce Doug since they're former teammates. Chris, how are you doing today? Hello, Robert. I feel as though your order of operations was unique this morning. Take two. Uh, it was take call. two. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit rattled because like you already said his name. Like, he's my guy, the best shortstop I ever played with. With hands down, like I tell people all the time, like this dude made every play, first team all everything in my book, just a plus human. Uh, leads the league in smiling at life and also being like full energizer bunny going on the field. Like I've never probably 142, 162 game season. Like at some point you're gonna take like cat like a Cadillac walk out to your position, not Doug nope. Bernier and. Uh, one thing that I was very interesting that I remember, Doug always wore a batting glove under his glove when he played defense. This is like just stuff that I remember. And like, I feel like it was the same batting glove all year, which was weird to me. I don't know if that's true. And I wanted to find that out today. So that's my intro of Doug. Hi, Doug. Hey, well, I guess to answer that question, it was not the same batting glove because I would get a little crusty after a while. Okay, um, I'm glad would, to know I, that. I would switch it out probably a couple times a month. It started in college. So when I was in, uh, growing up in California, I didn't need one. And then I went to school in Oklahoma. Get there, it's super humid, my hand's sweating. And then it got super cold, my hand got cold. So then I just put on a batting glove and I guess it just stuck. Didn't change. You're, you're a, a, a glove smith, just like full... I mean, you could hit too. Don't get me wrong, but you make every, like I, if I feel if I hit you a ground ball right now in at, in your office, I feel like you're just making a play on it. I'd like, like to that's think how good you are at shortstop. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, that, that's 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 what kept me around for a while. There were sure a few years where uh, I didn't hit much, so that that definitely helped me out. What's uh What's your glove model, Doug? I wanna I wanna get into that first because I'm I'm kind of a glove guy myself in terms of models. I was a big eleven and a half eye web, very particular about that shallow pocket. What were you working with? Because you played you played shortstop primarily, but you also roved around a little bit as needed, right? <clears throat> yeah, so I, I had a Rawlings uh, eleven and three quarters actually, so a little bit bigger, and it started because I used to use a different glove at every position, and I would switch. I'd go. 11 and three quarters at third, 11 and a half, and then 11 and a quarter or 11 and a half at second. So I was constantly changing the size of my gloves. But when I was on the move and playing a different spot every day, it became challenging having a different length of glove, you know, every single day. So I ended up just finding one glove model that I liked and I stuck with it no matter the spot. Um, and even though 11 and three quarters is a little bigger than normal, uh, and especially even at second base, it was a really flat pocket. Um, so it wasn't deep at all. And so I felt like I knew where the ball was and, you know, where the ball was in my glove every time. All right. So Did you mess it? Let's I got a question. Clear, I, I got a question first wait. though, before, 
Yeah. Did you go? Right. If you played third, if you played I third, know, you go, I want people to know why this is relevant. If you if you played third, did you go two in the pinky to give it more depth? No, no, never did. I you didn't just like went that straight up the whole time. Straight up the whole time because then cause what happened was I had one glove that I tried that with, but then you're catching the ball in between your pointer finger and your thumb, and then that web gets yep. deeper and deeper and deeper, yep. and then when you go back to the middle, it's just not quite the same. So I was I played it the same way every position. Got it. I like All right. That. Go ahead, Chris. Clear. Sorry. This is why Sorry, this is Chris. Important. No, Doug, his current title is the intergalactic coordinator of defense for the Colorado Rockies. So literally that means you do whatever, like that means you run the show with defense. You teach all the minor leaguers how to catch the ball. And there's nobody better to do that. It may or may just be defensive coordinator, but I think intergalactic coordinator of defense is way better. Um, Somehow, I think the the outfielders are included in like your coordinating, right? Is yeah. that true? Yeah, that's I mean, how I'm good not, you were at infield. I, that I mean, they I'm not exactly like both. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly sure. I think you and me. Well, you probably even have more innings out in the outfield than I do. I want to say I have at least seven innings out in the outfield, air free. Um, so I feel pretty confident out there. Um, I caught a few balls I'm in gonna... batting practice and stuff, but yeah, no, it's it's we're, we're doing all the defense. We're doing infield. We're doing outfield and. Um, yeah, I mean that that's the thing I'm passionate about. I love I love defending. I love taking hits away. I know you guys love hitting and I love taking hits away. So, uh it's kind of that that battle that goes back and forth kind of, you know, and that's something that I've always always loved. I uh I had 9 error-free innings to start my affiliated baseball career in the outfield. It was great. And then that ended. But the only reason there were 9 error-free, we talked about this on the call the other day. When they put me in right field, we were teammates. This was right before I got called up, and Kyle yeah. Gibson was pitching. And if anybody knows anything about Kyle Gibson, he likes to throw sinkers. So yeah. the only re- yeah, the only reason I had nine error free innings was because they didn't hit me the ball, which was fun. It was better that way for me. I liked it. I was like, "Go team, woo!" It was better for everybody that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Chris, I you were like a great first baseman. A longer too. <clears throat> great at first. When, Not great in the outfield. <laughs> when I was in the big leagues, I remember Gardy asked me if I've ever played center field. I was like, oh, yeah, I've logged a bunch of innings out there. So I was the backup center fielder for a long time, just trying to hold on every single day that I could, knowing that I have never played center field in my life. Um, but, hey, I was ready to go. Yeah, if hey, whatever you need me, Skip. You know what's exactly. funny is, yeah, that that uh, that year. Well, let's let's start from the beginning. So – I want to know all about how your journey and, and I'm probably going to learn some things today. Cause honestly, we were, we were teammates for a couple of years, parts of yeah. those two seasons and right. like, stayed pretty close after that. But yeah. Um, yeah, just take us through everything, school, high school, college. And then I ended up in affiliated ball. All right. So I grew up on the central coast of California, halfway between LA and San Francisco, a little place called Santa Maria, California, a little coastal town, really. Uh, so I went there. Um, we had a really good high school team. Primarily, I pitched and I played infield as well. Uh, didn't throw hard. Didn't really have a secondary pitch, but just threw strikes. You know, it was enough to get guys out. Um, then I was actually really hoping I wanted to go to a D1, just like everyone else did, right? And it didn't happen. Like the reality of just not being good enough hit me right in the face. And I was really bummed, you know. And then I ended up going to a junior college. Uh, in San Luis Obispo. And it's crazy. Like looking back at it now, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
There's no time restrictions. I was able to practice a lot. Um, I was fortunate to get with, at that time, just the perfect coach for me. The guy that pushed me, the guy that like taught me things, uh, and he cared. And he was, he was I mean, at, at that point, I needed that. Uh, after two years there, I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Division One school out there, um, smaller conference, uh, but got a, again, got a chance to play every day. And that's, I mean, that's how I got better was I, I got an opportunity to play. And most of the opportunity was because of my glove. You know, like there were times I know, I mean, in college it was, a, you know, it was a little bit easier because um, the pitching is not as good as you start working up. Uh, but at least, you know, that, that still kept me on the field, even when I was struggling offensively. After For the record, Doug, there, Doug hit oh, 351, yeah. hit 351 at Oral Roberts. So he wasn't, he wasn't a scrub. He's, he's getting some hits. 351 is pretty good. <laughs> and then, but after my senior year, I didn't get drafted. And, um, and so I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? And I remember it's kind of a weird feeling. Cause you're like, all right, now. I mean, am I going to have to work? Like, it was just, just kind of a weird feeling. And then I remember I was at my buddy's house, and I got a call. It was actually from the Rockies, and they asked if I wanted to sign as a free agent. One of our, uh, one of our, I guess, maybe our higher round infield guy wasn't signing right away, and they needed a spot. And so they brought me in. And uh, from there, I got an opportunity to play. And usually, like, the lifespan of the non-drafted free agents you, you're usually just a filler piece, right? You're there for like a year or two, and then all of a sudden you're out. Um, but I kept finding a way. I kept kind of grinding along. I ended up skipping low A. I went from rookie ball to high A, and then just kind of kept going and going and going. And then I finally got just uh, and kind of an interesting thing. In 2008, there was a fight between Matt Kemp and Yorvit Torrealba. Torrealba was the Rockies catcher at the time. And the day before that, they sent one of our infielders down to AAA. When that fight happened, there were some suspensions. And I don't know exactly how, like, all the rules and stuff worked, but the guy that they just sent down, they couldn't bring him back up. And they needed another infielder basically to hold the fort down for, like, four days in the big leagues. So I went up. And so that was my first taste in the big leagues. And I get sent back down. And then from there, I leave, leave the Rockies after six years. I go to the Yankees and then the Pirates. And I'm kind of just floundering around. So like four years, I'm in AAA, not hitting much at all, uh, but still doing just enough to kind of stick around. And then, um, and then that leads us to 2013, and that got me over to the Twins, and that's where I met Bobby and Cece. And uh, it's actually interesting because I remember <clears throat> 2013 was the first time I actually heard anything hitting wise, that was different from what I learned growing up. Like everything was very old school, foot down, you know, ground balls, things like that, whatever. And I remember, so we're in spring training. I'm probably like two, three weeks into knowing Chris and we're talking hitting. And then like that, that day or whatever, Bobby comes in, I end up talking to him a little bit more. And I remember there was a there was a game on the backfield, and I was kind of messing around in the cage doing some things. There was a game on the backfield, it was a minor league game, and I hit a ball. And I remember as soon as it left my bat, thinking like, "There's no way that that left my bat." And it went like two thirds <laughs> up to the top of the hitter's eye in center field. And I get around, I touch home. I'm like, "No way that just happened. How do I replicate that? How do I do that?" And then so that was kind of the beginning of like expanding my mind on like, all right, what can possibly happen? Like, 
what are kind of what do I need to do to become a better hitter other than just keep pounding my head in the wall and doing the same stuff I've been doing for the last, you know, 10 years and, you know, basically just treading above water. So that was that was kind of then and then had a pretty good year in 13, got back to the big leagues and was, you know, had some parts parts there with 13, 14 and 15 and then finished my last two years playing with the Rangers in uh, 16 and 17. And then from there, did some pro scouting for two years. Uh, then I was with the big league club as a game plan coordinator with the Rockies. And then this will be my second year as the defensive coordinator. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of my, I guess that's kind of my quick cliff notes baseball journey. That's it's pretty amazing as a fellow undrafted guy. Um, I had got my, I had thumb surgery my senior of college. So <clears throat> signing wasn't really an option for me, but Pretty amazing yeah. to, to go from not getting drafted to pretty lengthy career. I mean, you finished playing at I get your baseball cube played it pulled up. I think I was played until you're thirty seven. When I played until you're thirty seven, that's there aren't a lot. The, the the percentage of people that get to keep playing that long in a professional capacity, you could just go like play a men's league, but that's pretty incredible. You got in at twenty two. <laughs> you played for fifteen years. That's Awesome. Just yeah. Um, let's I'm just curious. Be clear. I I remember the ball. I remember the ball that he's talking about. He went leg kick dead central. Yeah. Off the batter's eye. Backfield. It was backfield. Probably three. seventeen. Yes. <laughs> and but I remember it. And I was like, "That's what's up. That's what's up. Oh my guy. Like and you're, that's when I think you like started buying into some of my bullshit. Right. Well, I mean, I've tried every stance in the books, right? But I'm also a little guy and I'm like, well, little guys can't have leg kicks. I can't do that. What are you talking about? And I actually busted it out and hit one. It was like the furthest ball I hit in my life. I was like, what just happened? It was a weird aha moment. I like to call those blackout swings when you, just, you don't even know what happened. <laughs> you kill a ball. Right. Um, exactly. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit. So what um, kind of, what was the biggest thing for you? Cause I, we grew up in a pretty similar era of get the foot down early. There was a TikTok that I saved the other day because I remember, I remember like right out of college, <clears throat> there was a this one video that I found that was on on YouTube, and it was like the most watched hitting instruction clip on YouTube. Patrick, I'll find it for you. It was the grossest, like step one, step two, step three, step four, like the grossest knob to ball, get on top squish the bug, all that stuff. And there's a time and a place to think on top. There's a time like squishing the bugs, not the worst thing in the world. Um, it can be for some hitters, but I'm curious what, you know, I, my whole career was spent thinking, stay inside the ball, get on top of the ball, knob the ball, like literally pushing my hands forward. What, um, what, what was the biggest difference for you? And what, what did it feel like in game applying it? Um, well, I think the biggest thing first was just mindset. Just thinking like even though – like I don't have to just hit ground balls to second. I don't have to just try to, to flare balls to right. Like I can still be aggressive and think I'm going to try to punish a baseball. Like that doesn't mean like fly out to center field. But, I mean, I can still hit – try to hit bullets in the gap. And if I do miss one, occasionally I'm going to get one, right? But it was just – allowing myself that, Hey, I can still, I can still be aggressive and offensive in the box. Like I don't have to be a defensive hitter. Um, and I think another thing that helped me too, was I was so opposite field. Like that was just programmed into me from day one. And so when I actually started to think more left center field, 
for some reason that locked me back in. Um, it, it gave me enough where I, I didn't feel like I was like cheating or getting too far out front, but I, I felt like it also just that shift of where I wanted to try to hit the ball just made me more aggressive and kept me as an offensive guy. And, and then also just adding the leg kick that again was more of like an offensive thing. Cause a, a lot of times I would sit there and I would get the foot down early or spread out and not, not move or whatever it was. Right. Um, and I felt like in a way it was just me trying to react to the ball, be defensive and just try to get the barrel to the ball as quickly as I could. Like that opened my eyes that I can still be offensive. I can still do damage, but I can also stay under control if I do it the right way. Um, and so to me, those were kind of the big, those were kind of the big eye openers that really started to, which is kind of crazy. I mean, it really started to take a turn in 2013. Um, but also, I guess, I, I guess I don't want to get too far ahead of things, but one thing that like, I, I believe is like practice makes permanent. And like, I feel like after being 33 years old, taking so many swings that like kind of created some permanence in a way, I had such a huge hole to dig out of that. I don't think I ever fully like able, I don't think I fully ever got to the ideal swing that I wanted but I made some adjustments and got better from what I had. I mean, that was a deep pool I was trying to get out of, man. I mean, 33 years of swinging, you know? Yeah. I, and thinking back to your swing and the way that I always pictured it is like you were so, you were trying so hard to be short and just yeah, basically just like slap the ball around. I think th right. the left center thought probably helped you turn more to think about mm -hmm. like clearing your body better, which doesn't take away the opposite field. As long as right. you're not flying open, if you fly open, right. then obviously it's not going to work. But just giving yourself that permission to clear better and right. maybe catch the ball out front here and there to pick your spots, mm -hmm. it yeah, it makes such a big difference. I I was a guy I couldn't hit a homer in BP to save my life. I just couldn't yeah. do it. And when I started learning how to do stuff, I could, I could if I wanted to, I could try to lift and, and hit balls over the fence, which I just I couldn't do in college. I couldn't do in high school. My home, my, all my homers were mistakes. I couldn't do it. Yeah, not that, and uh, that's not even uh, the whole point of it is to try to hit homers. I want right. to touch on the the thing that that you just mentioned. I had a couple thoughts, and the thing that I loved about what you said was, like, you almost—it's like you had the confidence, like, and and I don't, I don't take any credit for this, by the way. But we obviously started having interactions when I when I came down the minor league side, and we were talking about, right. you know, hitting and and how the swing was different and how I was looking at things differently, and it it. it I, I remember it, it piqued your interest right away, right? And mm -hmm. I think uh, I remember having a similar conversation with Ryan Goins later on, and we played against him those couple years when we were, we were there in Minnesota together. And Gogo could hit the minor leagues. Like, I played against him in, in 2012, and I, me and Bobby both loved his moves. And, you know, most people would think of Ryan Goins and Doug Bernier as similar profiles as players. Like, really good defender, first thing that comes to your mind. Really good defender. Right lacks a little bit with the bat. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, these dudes bang, bro. Like, and this coming from me, and I don't know if that means anything, but I remember the, the inflection point with you where you just said, mentioned the confidence where, like, I believe that I can. I believe that I'm supposed to. I believe that I'm I'm equipped to do this. And that's, that's a thought that's, I think, really important for young players to embrace. Like, don't let anybody put you in this box and tell you this is who you are. And I think that's incredibly important. That goes directly in line with the second thing, 
we were talking about where now you're starting to think about making a leg kick, making a forward move, going. And it the Joey Votto clip that was going around, it was making the rounds. They're talking about him hitting in the him hitting in the cage. And he talked about opposing forces, right? It was it was basically the idea of I know that to generate, I have to go. But at the same time, in order to stay under control, I, I want to keep my head quiet, my and my eyes still and and things like that. So I have literally opposing philosophies pulling me in opposite directions. And the entire thing is about finding balance between those two to really try to figure out what the optimal version of your player is, right? If that makes any sense. Right. And and that's, I think, something that gets taken away from guys. And tell me if you felt anything like that at any point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of a, it's kind of interesting when you were talking about that, I feel like there was definitely a battle, right? So when we first started talking, I, I was, I had a forward move, had a leg kick, things were going great, right? I was like, oh man, I figured it out, right? Whenever, whenever you figured it out, you're only like a couple, couple of bats away from just totally losing it, right? So we're in, season begins, two weeks into the season, I haven't hit a ball hard in two weeks. And I'm scuffling. I'm like, all right, what's going on? But I, I started to look at some video. I'm getting longer, trying to swing hard. My effort's getting bigger. Like all, all everything is just gradually getting a, lo- a little longer and with a little bit more effort. So I remember, you probably remember this too. I was out. So our manager takes me on the field one day and we just start bunting off of a machine. Start bunting. And then he was like, hey, man, I want you to slug bunt. I was like, what? Like softball style slug bunt? Like bunt, turn around and hit? Well, we were doing this off a machine and started hitting balls in the gaps, started crushing balls, hardest balls I've hit in two weeks. And he's like, all right, just do that in the game. And I was hitting lead off that day. And I was like, I can't do this at this time. Early work's almost done. All the guys are coming into the dugout and they're watching me hit like this. They're like, dude, there's no way you're going to hit like that. It's like, well, might as well try it. I haven't hit anything in two weeks. Sure enough, leading off the game, kind of give like not a full bunt because I didn't want to, you know, but it was kind of like, I mean, I was there. And I brought it back and hit a homer and was like, what just happened? I went five for five that day. And I think that was kind of another aha moment that helped kind of piece the two together a little bit where it was like, I don't have to overswing. I can still stay under control even when I do have a leg kick or I do have an aggressive or an offensive mindset. Like for me, seeing the ball, you know, getting the barrel to the ball, having barrel accuracy and then just kind of trusting what I'm doing in the game and competing needs to just take over. Because I think somewhere along the line, I almost forgot to compete in a way, and I was overthinking it. And so that was kind of that struggle you were talking about that I felt like kind of brought me back and centered me moving forward. Well, kudos to you, because I remember the day that you were out there, and you literally went (laughs) up and you were like... And you would do it. You were like, you went through most of the year where you were like, you'd have your moments where you're like out there. And I'm like, I love it. And I was like, dude, it's, don't worry. You look like Chase Utley. Like, you don't, you, it's not, you don't, like, it's not a bunt slug slash. It was awesome. But right. I mean, think about number one, right? I think as we get older, we probably have more of a, a willingness to try things, right? Where we're not, nothing's going to embarrass us. Like, guys are coming up to you like, can you imagine a 24 year old kid who's got his ego in his way? He was like, like, you're going to make me do this in the game. But that was, right. I, I think the part of the relationship that you and I both had with Gene that we shared with him, who was arguably my favorite manager I ever had, definitely in the minor leagues. Like, I mean, yeah. In terms of just his persona and, and like how he was able to just communicate with guys and relate to people. And um, he really was trying to get the athlete out of us and like, kind of let us do right. our thing. And, and that was awesome. So, I, but I remember that. So, number one, 
like so cool that, Hey, I'm going to do some stuff today and it's going to look weird and I'm cool. Like we'll see, see what happens, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of kids, like a lot of young players, they don't understand. It's like, dude, like you're worried about being embarrassed or things like that. Like there's just like, you gotta figure out how to get it done. Like that's what it comes down to. Right. And in a way, right. You got to get over yourself at some point, right? Like we all don't want to look foolish on the field and it would have been easy for me to just be like, Hey, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'd rather swing hard and miss than look foolish in the box. I mean, and to be honest, you kind of look at those videos and it, it wasn't like a clean or nice looking setup by any means. It was all over the place, but it worked and it, and it really helped me for that time. You know, like sometimes you need a little reset to kind of get you to where you need to be. And I needed that. And so I felt like, especially being a little older, feeling like I've looked foolish on a field a number of different ways, this just added added to it. It wasn't a big deal. Very simple question for both of you guys. <clears throat> There's a concept of, of RP, rate of perceived effort. When you were playing at your best, what level effort was your swing? I would say it was no more than 80. I mean, it would... Are you get in trouble when you're it was overrated. Weird how relaxed? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was amazing how relaxed I felt. There was no panic, and I felt like it was probably around maybe eighty ish. Yeah, it didn't seem it didn't. It was definitely not above that. I would say I fluctuated somewhere between fifty and eighty. I had there were days I had to think thirty, right? There literally, mm-hmm. and I. I mean, I would I would say I had to off. To me, everything was about offsetting what I was feeling. Right. So if I if I felt like I was going too hard, I needed to go to the other end of the spectrum. So there were days when I had to tell myself 50. And that that for me, it was a line from Rich Gedman. He used to say this all the time. Bobby, you've heard him say it. See how easy you can swing and hit it hard. And it's weird that we're having this conversation. I've been hitting with a a Mets minor leaguer uh, over the weekend and he had called me a few weeks ago. And he said to me, he goes, it's like, dude. It's like, I got a bigger bat, and I'm just swinging so easy in the cage. It's, like, amazing how hard the ball's coming off. And I, I said, yeah. Is it, I, I, he thought he invented fire when he called me. And I, I, I yeah, it, I, I think sometimes we assume that people know stuff. Right. I mean, and I, we all I kind of, a... in a way, have that, that football mindset, right, where we want to do more. We want to, like, be more aggressive. We want to swing harder and go get it. Um, and I think in baseball that, that can be counterproductive for sure. So like trying to find where that, that, that energy level is, that effort level is, and especially that fluctuates day to day, like you were saying, CC. So yeah, I, I like that. I used to, every time I got two or three, one, especially three, one, I don't know why <clears throat> I would always used to tell myself, just do less, like just think fast, not hard. That was always a good cue for me was thinking fast. Um, anytime I got high effort, that's when I would foul balls back. I didn't swing and miss a lot, but I would foul balls. Pitches that I should have hit, I'd foul back, misunderstood a little bit. Uh, quick thing about the bat size. I had a, I had a player in this weekend as well, double uh, A with the with the Cubs, and we had the little two, our new Tucci shorty bat, little 30-incher. And this kid was cruising 95 to 100, like all BP. Pick up the shorty, he's like 82, 83. Just, it's a tiny bat. It doesn't have enough, as much whip. So it's it's finding that balance of can you use a bigger bat? How big can you go? And if it's ever if the effort level is ever hard, you're not going to swing well. You're probably going to get stiffer. Your moves aren't going to be as clean. Uh, you're probably going to need to try to get it going sooner, which doesn't help. 
<clears throat> if you're thinking hard. Uh, that was my follow-up question was, was there a velocity where, with either of you guys, a velocity where you felt like you needed to cheat? Was there a number that it started getting to where it's like, uh, I got to pick a spot or I got to sit on a pitch more from a velocity standpoint? <clears throat> and then how did you manage that? That's interesting. I, I mean, I guess... I guess being a little older and being in the game a little longer, I had I felt like I was starting to develop the idea of what pitchers were trying to do at, at what time. So I felt like I was able to sit on pitches a little bit more. Um, usually being the bottom part of the lineup, they weren't going to mess around too much with me. They were going to try to challenge me with fastballs. So, I mean, I was pretty much looking heaters. And then, I mean, I felt like once it got above maybe 98 – that's when I, I feel like I had to gear up a little bit more. But it's amazing when you're like truly on the fastball, because there's times you say you're on the fastball, but when you're like truly on the fastball and they throw a sloppy breaker, you can get it. And it took me a, it took me a long time to believe that. But when I started to actually see it come to fruition, it's pretty special. But I would say 98 was kind of that cutoff point where it's like, all right, I, I might have to. I might have to start a tad earlier. I I used to tell I tell people this all the time that like I'll be sitting on the side and if there's no gun if there's no gun in the stadium I literally have no idea how hard the guy's throwing unless I watch guys constantly swing and miss right at the heater. So I I, I tell people all the time, eighty one and ninety five are the same exact thing to me. I don't like there's no I don't really feel like they're different and people are like what and. All that hitting velocity is is getting used to it, right? You get used to seeing it and and going through it day by day. And to your point, Doug, I think once we hit, if we start hitting the six and it's got spin, then it's different, right? Like, and and it to right. me, it's all about. I, I I can't emphasize this enough, and I, I probably wouldn't think this way if I was twenty, right, or eighteen. The ball is telling me if the guy, if I need to do something different, right? So my first swing of the day is my information, not the number on the board, not the, the thing that somebody else felt. The, the, my first swing of the day is my info. Because if I, like, I might see a ball at 96 different than another guy. We used to face, uh, have you ever faced Nathan Evaldi? Money chance, Doug? No, no. There were, there were the year he was with the Yankees in 2015. He's throwing 100 or 16. I can't remember which year. He's throwing 100, say 100 on the board, and it felt like 91, dude. It felt like 90, you know. And then you get other guys like the Chris Youngs of the world who are, you know, way out on top. You look at the board, it's 86, and your first at bat, you feel like it's 914 miles an hour, and you're like, so the number, the number is just a number. It's like the feeling of, of what comes from it. To your point, once you start getting up there into like the nine, nine, a hundred, like it's a different paradigm because the, the, the it's on it's just on you, right? Like a hundred is it's on you. So that's the ball you probably have to get at the bottom of the zone no matter what from waist down. If you start going up to the top at a hundred, you're you know starting to put yourself in in, in shark infested waters. Right. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. There are guys when you're like, whoa, that. You know, you, you look up on the board, you see 97, and it, you're right, it, did, it felt like 90. Or you see the reverse, and you're right. On Chris Young, it was funny, like you said that, because I remember facing him one time and coming back, oh, man, that is a sneaky 85, man. 
you know, like, cause it, that, how many it, times have I mean, you said that in your life? Dude, it felt like he was like two feet from you when he let it go. It was like, oh my gosh, like I've never seen anyone this close to me before. And then the second time, the second, dude, the second yeah. time you go up against them, see, here's what I felt. I faced him twice in 2015. And the first time I'm like, oh, the ball's on me. Like it's by you, right? And then the second right. time I'm like, all right, I gotta go. And then I would swing and like I would hit it. 14 feet out front home plane. I'm like, why did it feel so slow this time? I'm like, I know. How is he doing this? And then the third time, right. they're like, no, no, no. Let's get him out because everybody's got to figure it out. Right. <laughs> Helps to be 6'11 or whatever it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> it's weird how uh, that perception will shift based on the guy that's on the mound. <clears throat> people, I don't think a lot um, of people appreciate like how – 94 can feel slow, which doesn't seem like a reasonable thing right. to say aloud. Yeah. Right. 84 can seem really fast. Yeah. Well, and it's to your point, Doug, when you're really truly on the fastball, like the cripple, the cripple off speed stuff is the stuff we're supposed to hit, right? People are like, I get young kids that always tell, they're like, how do you, how do I hit the breaking ball? I'm like, well, A, don't miss the fastball, but B, swing at the right ones. You have to get yourself to swing at the right ones. You're, the, the the slider that starts on the black down and away or starts in the, the the nine quadrant or the three quadrant, whatever you want to call it, and breaks out of zone is going to look nasty. It always looks nasty. When they hang it, it's going to look way less nasty, right? Like their arm action's not quite as clean. They don't get it out front. So we're supposed to hit cripple off-speed stuff. So it's about understanding how to condition ourselves to see the ball up. And again, opposing forces with the fastball that's got ride, you might want to see it down and then the breaking ball you want to see up or but that's why hitting such a chess match all the time um and, and it's all interesting stuff to to be able to talk about unfortunately we're, we're going to try to keep you for like an hour so i think we can probably move on to other stuff um how are you I, I have your, one thing I, with the, I have a oh god uh, let me do it let me do it no i have a great transition Go. into the hitting Go. stuff and into that role so <clears throat> i'm curious about from an accuracy standpoint, Chris was just talking about looking at a different guy. So we've we've been tracking accuracy for major league pitchers, a lot of major league games. Our new partnership with Hitting Approach measures this stuff. So a guy like Kyle Gibson, as a hitter, his fastball miss is under the barrel and his off-speed pitch is under the barrel. So everything's moving down. So it's like a one-way swing direction. Like mm-hmm. every pitch he throws, you have to be under the ball. Then a guy like Josh Hader – his fastball accuracy on our scale is a negative three, which means swing and miss under. Like every in the playoffs, every pitch he threw was a swing and miss under. And then his off-speed accuracy is a two point five, which is almost a swing and miss over. So you get a guy that's like riding it up and then crazy sinking it down, versus a guy that's everything is going downward. How does that affect, like as a hitter? What are you thinking there? But then also as an infielder, so I'm tying it to the infield, how much are you paying attention to the pitcher that's throwing, how their ball's moving, and how does that affect your your mindset? See how I, did, see how I tied that together, Chris? Nice, Bobby. It was intense. That's, that's a way better transition. Yeah. You're right. That was good. Well, let, let me take it from, like, the, the infield side of it. So first before, like, you know, we have our pitcher on the mound, I, I, I know what to expect. I mean, I know if he's a fly ball guy. I know if he's a ground ball guy. I know, I know what his tendencies are. Uh, a big thing for me too is like when I'm on the field and I know this is kind of a lost art in a way, but like knowing what pitch is coming, 
And I know it's a little bit different now and it can be a little more challenging with the pitch calm stuff, but like there's still teams that are putting signs down and just knowing what's coming, the location that it's intended and what the pitcher likes to do in certain situations. Like for me, that was huge. Like any way I could get an extra millisecond of, you know, uh, anticipate one direction or the other, the more that you, the more swings that you watch, like, so that's, I'm a huge advocate in guys after they're done taking their ground balls, not just going in the outfield and talking, but stand in the infield and watch swings and batting practice. Like try to get to a point where you can actually read the swing. So the bat's coming through the zone and now all of a sudden you have an idea. Is he going to, is this swing more likely to pull the ball, stay up the middle? Like what are we working with here? And just a combination of that, I think really can help you, um, you know, get to balls and, and have a little bit more range. And especially now that they're, Range is basically coming back in. Range is sexy again for infielders. I mean, we got to be able to cover some ground. And so these little things, a lot of them are unknown and are not seen to people that are watching the game. But guys that are able to get to balls that others can't, these are the things they are doing. This is the beautiful how stuff. How much are you reading baseball? swings? Yeah, this is I love this stuff. Uh how much did you read guys between pitches? Because I was I think we're similar in the fact that we were kind of undersized. I definitely I was a seven flat runner. I I did not have the physical capability to play professional baseball. But at but, face value, time out. Wait, I was a good player. Go ahead. At one point, you were tied for the best hitter of all time. Do you know that? After your first at bat, you were one for one with a homer. You were tied for yeah, being the best hitter of yeah. all time in independent ball. So in professional, fine. no, but I get paid to play baseball. <laughs> so you were the best hitter first, of all time at one point in, in your career. Yeah. Hitting a homer in your first at bat is kind of cool, um, but I used to read, I used to read guys' swings when they stepped out, like they're swinging miss late, and I'd try to see if they're thinking about being shorter or quicker, and then I know if an off speed pitch is coming, they're going to roll over even harder. Um, right, just trying to read intent. I think <clears throat> I had a, I have some notes on my phone, and I talked. I was saying, what does it mean to be heads up as a baseball player? And I think my definition is ability to. Ability to predict what other people are trying to do is being a heads-up player. Like you, you know if a guy's going to try to take an extra base. You know if guys back things up. You know if a pitcher's missing a spot that day. Like there's just different things about being heads-up. And then like the cat and mouse game to me is ability to influence what other people are trying to do. So right, yeah. I'm curious. I, I, I want to. I, I'm. I was never good at. I, I used to get yelled at and then complimented for this depending on who the coach was, but how much did you move pre-pitch based on the pitch that was called? And like, how late did you try to move if you did move? Cause I would always try to, I would try to be kind of leaning. I never wanted to give it away, but some coaches wanted me to move more. Some coaches would yell at me for moving. So it's always, I'm curious how you guys do it or how you did it with the Rockies right, well, and how you did it in your career. Yeah. Well, how I did this was, so like, let's say I'm, I'm looking in, I, I, I would have a, based on pregame, just pregame like you know stuff with with each hitter right I had an idea of where I want to stand and especially with our pitcher you know kind of all of that wrapped in my mind this is where I wanted to start now let's say he's throwing um he's throwing a breaking ball right I'm not going to move because once I move one direction or the other I am tipping to the hitter what could possibly be coming so my ready position instead of just getting into like a little one-step hop into my ready position my one-step hop would be 
one step to the right side. So my little hop into my ready position would go one way or the other to kind of, to kind of get just a little bit more, you know, space in where I believe the ball is going to be hit. Um, but I, I was, I was really like you too. I mean, I would look in between swing, like watch their, watch their swing, their practice swings, see what their intention was. A lot of times they were giving it away. Like, are they trying to go the other way? Um, I would also look for it a lot runner at second base, nobody out. Some hitters are going to do the exact same thing. They don't care if runners at second or if no one's on base, some are just still a pull guy. And so like, I would watch, see what they're doing, see their intent. At that point, I'm like, hey, second baseman, you cover him. I'm going to play over here because he's probably going to pull the ball. But then you see some guys that are working on trying to hit the hit the four hole. It's like, all right, you get the four hole. Now I'm going to be covering or I'm going to be holding the runner here. So those are things. I would say probably 90% when I was playing third base, 90% of the bunts like for hits, they gave away before they bunted. There was always a little like kind of side-eye peek from the hitter. If you're just watching him, if you're just paying attention – and you see that little, you know, little snake eye peak. You're like, all right, here it comes. And then you just kind of hang back like you're not paying attention. And you're like, dude, he's falling right in the trap. And then as soon as the pitcher starts coming home, I take like two steps forward. I'm off, catch the ball and throw him out at first. So, but like, those are the things I love. But it all, it, it's all about just like paying attention, even in some of the times that some people might not normally be paying attention. These are my favorite I used things to, about uh, baseball that people don't understand. I have They're one. my favorite things. Mm-hmm. I always say like paying attention's the the sixth skill. Like it's just a, the, yeah. an ability to, but it's I, I don't think the conversation I don't think the conversations happen enough about what to pay attention to. So the example of like doing a hop step, there were times that if I felt like like let's say a guy was late on a breaking ball and I knew a fastball in was being called and I thought that the hitter was going to be late, I would move to the pull. If I knew the hitter like paid attention, I would go pull side to make him think an off speed was coming so that he'd be even later. Cause he'd be sitting right. on the, so I was trying to bait. I was even trying to bait the hitter with my movements thinking like, he's definitely not going to pull the ball so I can slide over pull side. It's not right. going to hurt my position because he's not going to do that anyway. It right. was just like little things like that, that <clears throat> I was, uh, there's a Leo Durashell quote. It says baseball's like church. Many attend, few understand. Mm-hmm. There's, I got some personal stuff on that one about like just organized religion, but you go to baseball and people like there's people in the stands and they think it's a slow game. And it's like, dude, you do understand what's happening on like the water's calm, but there's a lot of stuff going on underneath. There's the so much are... thinking there's chess going on, 3d mm-hmm. chess, 60 chess going on always all the, all the time. Because I mean, I remember just like standing out there at shortstop and thinking, okay, we have a runner at first here. What am I doing if the ball's hit to me? What am I doing if the ball's hit down the right field line? What am I doing if it's down the left field line? Gaps. If it's hit to CC at first. Like, you start thinking about it like that, and you're like, man, there is a lot of situations here, and I want to have an idea of what I'm going to do before the ball's put in play. Because, I mean, we all know there is nothing worse. And this has probably happened to everybody. But, like, that ball's put in play, and initially you're like, where do I go? What do I do? And that is, like, the worst feeling ever on a field. Like, you want to know exactly what to do as soon as that ball's hit. And so, yeah, there is there's a lot of thinking always going on. So hesitation's have, a base. I have so many thoughts on all of this, and my favorite. I don't get stuff to geek to out do, on infield that much. I love it. My favorite <laughs> stuff to do. Uh, I had a coach, and Bobby, you had him for a, a little bit too. I think Coach Gallagher, Ed Gallagher, he's a high school coach and high school teacher his whole career, and. 
uh, became close with Rich Gedman, and he's the nicest human on earth. Doug Bernier's second, Ed Gallagher is the nicest human I've ever been around. And like, this was the guy that taught me to pick up the trash in dugouts literally after the games. And he used to always call it an opportunity for greatness. Defense, defense poses opportunities for greatness. The problem is we don't know when they're coming. So we have to be ready for them all the time. If we want to make the sports center top 10 play, right? Like if we want to make the highlight play, we want to be the guy that is in position to make the ridiculous play. You always have to assume the opportunity for greatness is coming and be ready for it when it does. So at first base, right? Then I always thought about situations where I could impact the game in a way that it could, you know, flip momentum in the, in the baseball game. First and second, nobody out the bunt play, right? If I crash hard and I get really good at my spin throw or learn how to backhand that ball and get my feet going toward third, and can make a quick throw, we get a force out on that play, it shifts the tide of the game. Um, I used to look at runner on second, nobody out with the lefty up, just trying to hit the hook roll over. And I've taken a ground ball and thrown a guy out at third base because the runner's going to lollygag his way to third, thinking it's an easy way to get, get to third base. If you're playing back and you look like you're conceding the run and you see that the guy is kind of giving up his trot to home, boom, go get him at home. And the one that comes to mind the most is the play that I made in the division series against Texas, where I, I, I froze the runner at third base. And that was only because it was a play that came up three years before that in Minnesota. Doug, you weren't there that year, but those are my favorite things to do. And the one, and Todd Leathers will appreciate this if he's listening. If you catch a throw on a bunt, say it's runner on first and the team bunts, if you catch a throw at first, just automatically turn and throw it to second. Because if you catch it and throw it, if that runner takes one little turn and the ball's in the air, the guy at second base will catch it, tag the guy out, and you get a double play out of a ball that you know should have been a, a sacrifice bunt. Right. Um, there's always opportunities. There's always places where we can take advantage of moments. And that is what we're talking about here, and it's awesome. Right. And one, one thing I always tell, like, I always tell some of our guys that, Obviously, we know hitting's king, right? I mean, you got to hit if you want to continue to play. But if you have a goal, right, and it's on the top of this mountain, there's multiple ways to get up to climb the mountain. And for someone like, like me, hitting was always a challenge. And if I'm trying to throw all my eggs in that hitting basket and compete with everyone else, I'm going to get lost in the shuffle. For me, being able to be like to be, I feel like an elite defender and think through it gave me opportunities to get more at bats. Where if I wasn't that guy, I wouldn't have got the at-bats necessary to help me just learn how to hit a little bit better. And so I, that's where I think sometimes we put defense on the back burner and be like, man, if I just hit enough, then I, it doesn't matter what I do. But sometimes like, if our defense is good enough, all of a sudden our manager wants to keep us out there to finish the game. We get more at-bats, and it just makes us a more well-rounded player. And so... I think that's another reason why I'm so passionate about infield and defense is because it kept me around for as long as I, as long as it did. Well, let's, let's expand on that. Right. So two things that stand out really a lot about you, right? I didn't know much about you before you came to the twins. And obviously as soon as I met you, I, I, I looked you up undrafted free agent and I'm like you're, you were in year 10 at that point or something like that or 11. And 
you know, the first thing people do, they check your baseball reference page and you go, all right, like offense leaves something to be desired. So you, you just, you understand right away as a professional player that this guy brings something else to the table. And, and that was the stuff that if you, if you Google Doug Bernier, the first picture that comes up, the first two pictures that I saw today anyway, were a picture of you coming hard out of the box on a ball when we were just, twins. In just the strained face. Absolutely, like, st- absolutely strained yeah. face. <laughs> and, and the other I picture it up too. is a That's picture funny. of you, yeah, your uniform being the dirtiest on the field, right? Like that's those things I think epitomize who you were a plus teammate, like never, I don't ever remember you being negative. Now you had a moment after you made an out where you were pissed off like the rest of us, but you never let that impact your, your sprint out to the field and you never let it impact the way you played defense. So first and foremost, you were a guy for me to lean on that I could always talk to and, and something I really needed as a teammate. And for that, I appreciate it. And I think I've talked to you about this openly before, like you, you and Eric Kratz are like the living embodiment of what it means to be the same all the time, right? Like, like you're just the same human day in and day out. And, and, and that's a guy that people can rely on and want to be around. And that's, I think the first thing that the first prerequisite of having a long career in the game, because at some point, if your production's not good, what are they going to think about? Right. And then obviously second of all, you were reliable, right? Like I trusted a ball to get hit to Doug Bernier every, every play. Like there was no scenario, like an error was an aberration for you. It wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, I was worried about the ball getting hit to you. I just, I expected the play to be made. And that, those two things, I think, being the first thing that comes to people's minds when they think about a player are, are pretty unbelievable. Well, thank you for that. No, and, I, and I, f- I feel like it was a good timing, though, because, I mean, like you said that, you know, I helped you out. I, I think just getting to know you and Bobby the time I did was really important for me, too. So, I mean, but that's that's the cool thing about teammates in baseball is, like, sometimes you come together at the right time, and it's just, like, it's what you need at that moment. You know, and I think it was just the timing was perfect. It's awesome. I, I teacher, teacher reveals again, itself we, when the student's ready. That whole thing. We can keep yeah. talking. About, and I, I think that's circumstantial too, right? Like if you get the right person in your life at the right time, it, it, it can unlock a bunch of stuff. I wanted to do this sooner because I, I've been on a couple podcasts myself and radio shows and things like that where you don't get to the thing that you really want to talk about. So you are the founder of pro baseball insider. And that's like kind of a, a, a separate like business thing that you've got going on. Um, since I've known you, this has been a website you and, and your wife have run. Um, you put out really cool baseball information. Uh, and it's the thing that I was going to say is some people do it at the beginning. Some people do it at the end. I wanted to be different doing the middle, but like we're probably closer to the end now but I want to give us time to talk about this. Uh, tell us about Pro Baseball Insider. How did it start? Why did you do it? And 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 what's the, the mission behind it? All right, so it's, it started in 2011. I was with the Yankees at the time, and uh, it's spring training time. So you've been out of baseball for a couple months, and then you're getting right back on the field. You're doing bunt coverages, and you're doing – uh, real, you know, cutoffs and relays and you're doing all, you know, signs, you know, all the stuff that's kind of new uh, with the organization and also just, you, you know, getting back in your, in your baseball mind again. Right. So 
remember we're doing like cutoffs and relays and I just started writing notes down. And then we started doing first and thirds and bump plays and writing them down. And my wife was like, man, this stuff is like, for the most part, pretty general. Like, why don't like this, like youth players would find this stuff beneficial, you know, where to be on certain plays and how to do this. She's like, why don't we just make a little website? I was like, whoa, like, all right. I mean, that, that sounds pretty cool. You know, I, I, as, I, as long as we don't give anything away, you know, like that's just <laughs> like for that organization, you know, like I wanted to keep it general and stuff like that. So she looked into it and built the first website in 2011 for us. And from there on, it was kind of like, okay, I, I don't want to make this about me. Cause I mean, obviously like there's, I've learned a lot from a lot of different people and, and things. And I feel like I have a lot of good experiences, but I want to like expand the scope where it's not just me. So it's like, okay, you know, I happened to be working out with Juan Pierre at the time in the off season. like, Hey Juan, what are like three things you look for when you're trying to steal second base? Uh, Matt trainer was one of the catchers. Hey Matt, what do you, what are you doing when you're trying to, uh, when a runner's coming home and you have to make a tag at home plate? So like kind of the idea was I wanted to get other people's involvement so it's not just my own. That's how it started. And it just kind of, it's continued to grow. Uh, so everything on the website's free. And then we started to get people that wanted more in-depth stuff. So kind of the thing that I guess I specialize obviously is like the defensive side of it. So we have some courses and then I have a, one of my buddies, Ryan LaVarnway that uh, lives locally that I've, me and CC played against for a long time. He's, he, he has a catching, uh, he, he helps with the catching side of it on our website, you know, part-time and helps out. And so, uh, yeah, so we got, we're trying to get a voice in all these different arenas of just people that have a, a pro perspective, guys that have been around for a long time and guys that have just, I feel like, I think the one thing that ties us all together is that there is an, there is a continuation of wanting to learn. And I think that's what makes it so cool is like in this game, there's, so many things you can constantly learn. And I think that's what we've surrounded ourselves with, with people that, that help out with our website. That's awesome. I I'm on your website right now, watching your first MLB hit, which I had a oh, uh, sweet, I had a front row seat too, which is pretty sweet. cool. Double down the line. Yeah. So hanging curveball, yeah, Joe Blanton, Joe, is that Joe? Yeah. Blanton? It had to be Joe. Yeah. Blanton. He's got those short mechanics. Um, <laughs> tell me about that moment. Like, I mean, it, was it a culmination or was it, was it everything you hoped and dreamed it would be? Or like, was it, Oh, it was better. It was better. I mean, growing up too in California, having a lot of friends and family there and then just like finally getting hit on a big league field. It was like, Oh my gosh, like this happened. Like I felt like at that point I could kind of settle down and, and start to play a little bit and just kind of, I mean, and, and it still took some time, but it was just such a special moment. Just thinking like how, how many people, helped help me to get where I was at that point, you know, cause you're never doing everything on your own. There's so many people that come into your life at the right time. Like we talk about junior college, right? My coach and my dad who threw me all kinds of, you know, he threw me batting practice all the time. And just all the people that come into your life, you start thinking about that stuff and you're like, wow, what a moment. And so for me, it was just, it was, it was so, such a cool, such a cool time. Age 33, first hit the big yep. leagues. Yeah. Yep. You beat me. I was I was 29 when I got my first one. So it's uh it's pretty cool. Um yeah. So what do you what is what does what does Pro Baseball Insider offer outside of you know just the free resources that you guys give out? What what are your like what are your main focuses? Yeah, so we have so we have uh, a catching course that's a more that's like a full 
that's just a full course. That's a paid course. And then we have one foundational infield course. It's a 60-day, basically day-by-day uh, program that you follow. And it has drills, it has teaching modules, and it has a plan that you go through every single day. You can spread it out as many over as many days as you want, but there's 60 separate days that you go through. And then I'm at, and that's a paid one as well. And then I'm actually currently just finishing up our more advanced uh, version of the first one, which kind of takes to that other level. And it's also more position specific. So we're going to dive into each position. What you know? What are kind of the unique features for each one? what to work on, different drills for each one, and then just kind of go into deeper. So for example, like our first course, we're just talking about basic throwing, how to be more accurate, how to get more velocity on our throws. But then this one, we're working on 12 different types of throws and how to make them accurately and what to do in certain situations, what plays call for different throws and things like that. So we, we, kind, of, we kind of peel back a, a few more layers of the onion. That's awesome. Really good stuff. It's uh you know, you mentioned the, the learning aspect of it. I think there's this, we all have this innate desire, hope. I, I think for me, paying it forward is so, it's something somebody said to me, and it was a former twin it, the year before you got there, Michael Holloman. I don't know if you ever played with or against him. Michael Holloman. It's so funny, right? Like he went to, he went to ORU actually. It, Yes, uh, uh, University of Texas, and then transferred to yeah. ORU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I met Holly in 2006 when I, I signed with Detroit. Um, the two guys that I remember most vividly from my time there was were him and Matt Joyce. And it, it's funny because Holly just seemed like this bubbly, like exuberant dude. And fast forward, I, I get released from the Tigers, and I. I you know, I end up signing with the twins and sure enough, he's in triple A and I'm going to double A. And I was like, Oh my God, how small is the baseball world? Right. One of those moments. Uh, and, and, and Holly was a couple guys that had gotten called up from double A to triple A were like living on his couch when he was there. And I remember talking to him throughout the year, we would text back and forth and he's like, Hey man, we just got to pay it forward. Right. And that was a way that, that, that resonated with me so much because Everything I think we're all doing at this point in our lives is about passing it along to the next generation and trying to fill the gaps where there was information missing in our careers early on. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, I was like, nobody explained to me that there were going to be potholes along the way. Nobody had ever pr- prepared me for that. And one of the biggest things I want to make clear to young people, because I think what what leads to a lot of anxiety and 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 mental stress is the fact that we believe that we're supposed to live up to an expectation. And in our game on any given day, like you can be the best player on the field or worst player on the field. And baseball doesn't care. It, it, it's about being consistent, being able to show up and figuring out how to deal with all the stresses that come through the season. So that's the message I try to pass along the most is like, be ready for the potholes and it's okay. It's better to deal with them early on because now, when you face them further on down the road, it'll become that much easier to deal with with the big ones. When everybody else is seeing them for the first time, you, you're more equipped to handle them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I also, to, to add on to that, I feel like guys that experience that early create discipline in their, in their preparation, in their approach. And that's the thing that can kind of help take them 
that, that can help seeing, help them to continually see improvement. Because if you just rely on talent your whole life, at some point you're going to hit resistance and you're going to hit a time where it's just, it's tough because everyone else is talented, but now you're starting to face guys that have better discipline or have a better work ethic. And so the earlier you can figure that out and put in that work and be disciplined every day and do things on the days when it's hard, because you playing 162 games, hundred whatever, you know, minor league season, maybe whatever it is, 162 games, that's a lot of games, you know? And so they're not every single day. You're not feeling like you want to be out there. Right. And so, but to be able to press forward and do it and be mentally locked in on those days is what separates you from other people. And I think it starts with discipline and, and going to what you said, CC, the earlier you can institute that and get that into your, into your game, the better. Well, and that was, again, you embodied that every day. And I think that's how you have a 15, 16, whatever your career that you end up having. And the guys that you see stick around the longest and whether it be at the big league level or the minor league level and they just have really good careers. And I think, you know, the thing that we want to be remembered for more often than not is we want to be remembered for being a great teammate and being a, a great clubhouse guy and, and, and to be somebody that somebody could rely on or, or lean on because at the end of the day, like the performance stuff's all, it's all going to show up or it's not and the opportunities are right. going to show up or they're not, you know, the thing that you want to have is the relationship and the ability to go back and reflect on it and talk to people. And that's my favorite thing about you is here we are 10 years later from the first time <laughs> we set foot on a, a spring training field together. And, and, uh, almost exactly 10 years actually each other's lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I love it. A couple, so couple weeks it. short of two of 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm very wow. much looking forward to, to continuing down this path. And obviously you're going to get, you know, busy as the season starts, but I think there's a massive opportunity for, and we've talked about this for, for Pelotero and pro baseball insider to, to work together in, in some capacity. And, you know, we'll, uh, I don't know how much we want to tease stuff like this out or, or anything like that, but I'll, I'll leave that talk to the other guy. I, I just wanted to have my moment. You know, sure. <laughs> No, I mean, we just, we love talking to you. We love uh, just uh, the way that you go about your business <clears throat> has always stood out to myself and Chris and thrilled for you with everything you got going on with the, with the Rockies, with, uh, with pro baseball insider. And um, yeah, just excited. We, we have a lot of fun stuff coming with Pelotero with the, uh, the, the mocap through a phone, which is crazy that you can, and there, there's a new app I got access to. I, I'm not even. <clears throat> really supposed to talk about it, but everything's going to get faster. That's it's going to get fast. Ability to take your phone out of your pocket and help hitters is something that I've been dreaming about for about Chris. We met with, uh, we met with Jose Bautista in November, December of 2015. And I started talking to him about how can't computer vision was going to take over and how <clears throat> video analysis was going to disappear. It's all going to be automated. And he always, he said to me at the time, he's like, nobody wants to learn how to hit from a computer. I was like, yeah, but what if it's not a computer? What if it's actual input and actual, you know, coaching knowledge? So that was November, 2015. And now it's, it's actually happening. It's, it's unbelievable to me that it, the thing that's been in my head is actually going to, it is currently working and, and people are using it. So it's really fun. And, um, you know, we, we're all dealing with the same type of player, the kid that wants to get better, the kid that has dreams, the kid that we used to be ourselves and to be able to give resources back and 
pass on things that we've learned and for me to be able to ask you questions about how you position yourself and trying to cheat one way or another or anticipate like that's those are the type of conversations I care about the most. I it's actually funny because I didn't truly know why I liked baseball until we started doing Pelotero Pickle. And there was one play, it was like the ball to right field and and Dalton Simmons did a, a cut he cut the relay throw or he faked it. And it was like this crazy play where it was rundowns, uh, just relay throws, the way that things were happening so fast. And I realized that the thinking of the game and how quickly those situations changed is what I like the most about baseball. It's the, it's how fast it is. A game that everybody thinks is slow, the thing I love the most is how fast it is. And it's just uh, – Right. Chris says always, and, like, baseball shows us we can't we can't get away from it no matter how hard we try. Right. And, and that's what I love. And that's another thing that I love about it. I mean, and I love on the defensive side. I mean, you obviously know if you hit a homer, right? That's a great thing. But sometimes making that play to keep a runner from going an unnecessary 90 feet, sometimes that wins you a ball game. And that's one of those things that maybe no one else in the stands knows. But your teammates know. You know. You know, your manager knows. Like, that's a good feeling, you know. And so, but, yeah, it's just baseball is – when you start – peeling all the layers back, man, it gets, it gets really exciting. It gets really fun. I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge with baseball right now <clears throat> that mm-hmm. the game's not being taught and it's highlight. The only thing that, the only thing that, that is different about it is you don't actually see the true, like making a play on defense doesn't reverberate on the scoreboard. Right. So it's, Unless you're seeing three chess moves ahead, you're you're not really seeing the impact of that play. And to your point, Doug, if you if you're on the field, you know that it mattered, right? If you're in the dugout, you know that it mattered. But the fan, the casual fan who's eating a hot dog, is like, well, they didn't score this inning. So that's the hard part about our game is like understanding the the again the layers. You peel back the layers and you see the moments. And if you stop a run from moving ninety feet. And, how the next ball could have impacted the game differently is uh, it's really cool stuff. And, and cause you can yeah. only imagine what would have happened. Right. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Now, I was going to say the, now uh, we're all afraid the to issue. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the issue with major league baseball and, and the, like the whole effort to grow the game. I think you need to teach the details to really appreciate the, and instill passion in the game. You, you have to have these types of conversations and and help kids understand the things that make the game so beautiful and not you know everything's an instagram highlight right now everything's you know a six second clip right. and to to appreciate detail and nuance and the details of the game the the guy it's hard it's hard to see the shortstop making those type of anticipations when you're watching a side view homer clip that's on instagram with some catchy right. pop song on it it's just a, it's not the same experience right. and Going to the game, one of my favorite things, I used to love going to spring training, like watching you take ground balls. I, I know Patrick, <clears throat> um, he used to go down to spring trainings with his family. And when you see guys work, when you see the level of detail and the level of execution, it's just learning how people actually work and put the time in. It gets, mm-hmm. it's really special when you see elite, elite performers do what they do. Right. And, and I think that's one thing too. Yeah. It'd be cool if there was a way to to show the daily grind of some of the players because when 
you know, when we show up to batting practice, right, you miss all that pregame work and preparation that goes on before the game, all the cage work and uh, all the, you know, the time on the field with whatever they're doing. Maybe they're working on something special that day, but like there's so much that goes into that. We tend to catch the last round of BP and they'd be like, all right, they're done. You know, wow, I can't believe they're here already, you know, and then they get ready and go play. But I mean, it's, it's, it's the level of commitment, especially for the elite players is just, for me, it's just such a cool thing to watch. Just the way that they come in every single day, every day is new and they grind the same way every day. Like it's, it's special to watch. And it also just shows like how those guys that play 10, 11, 12 years in the big leagues, how hard that is. That's a hard thing to do, man, to be that good and hold off people trying to take your job for that long. I mean, that's a special thing. It's uh, it's all we've all we all appreciate it because we experienced it as we did it, and I think that's what you know. You wish for every player that plays the game to get to that point where they can decide: Am I built for this or am I not? Right. I think a lot of players they get, I don't know, jaded by the game at an early age because they don't have enough success, and it's the game seems slow and and all that stuff. Because I, I look back to high school and how many how many situations that I wasn't prepared for, how many, how many moments that happened where the game sped up on me. And we all learned as our, our professional career started probably. And, and we went through them that it's just so much more. And when you tell people you got to the stadium at one o'clock for a seven o'clock game, they look at you like you have six heads and they're like, what, what are you talking about? Show up at five. Like, and it's, uh, it's all my favorite stuff. And I think the reason why, Again, baseball holds on to us instead of us holding on to baseball. Yeah. Uh, well said. Dude, thank you so much for your time. We won't keep you any longer. Uh, check out probaseballinsider.com. Really good stuff. Um, you know, again, Doug does great stuff. He gives a lot of ton of stuff away. And uh, I look forward to you continuing your career in affiliated ball and, and many more conversations to come and how we can all – kind of work together and help the game at the, uh, for the next level. So, yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And it's always good to see both you guys, man. So, Hey, let's do this again. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I love, I love talking, talking some, talking some shop with you guys and seeing your guys' face. It's always a nice thing. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's so good, dude. We should, so good. We, <clears> we should get you in uh we should get you in spring training, like full tired mode after days on the backfields and, and get some, uh, some real baseball insider. We'll get that going. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go and uh, yeah, because the only gym time for me is at four thirty in the morning. So we got to show up early. We'll be there at four thirty in the gym. We can start then. Perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Clutch Clutch will be taking a nap like he is right now on my lap. So it's uh, he, he he won't be affected one way or the other. But we'll we'll be fine. We'll, we get the East Coast thing. I'm, I'll be fine. So, um, no man, we really appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for coming on. And uh, on that note. Pickle out!